You're listening to A Stranger Podcast, www.thestranger.com. If you're stuck in a relationship quandary, or if you're looking for sexual We have a very special guest in today for the podcast. Joining us again, Mistress Matisse, to handle, answer, and slap down some of your questions about BDSM and dom-sub relationships. Thanks for coming in. Uh, thanks for having me, Dan. I'm glad to be here. It's always a pleasure. we got some cupcakes uh, for us, so you might hear us smacking our lips a little bit. We pro- apologize in advance. But before we get to your calls, there was something you wanted to share with everyone. <laughs> the most fucked up thing you've ever seen. And when Mistress Matisse <laughs> describes something as... The most fucked up thing she's ever seen. Oh, my God. What could it possibly be? I'm, I'm a little scarred by it. I'm still sort of processing the whole experience, so I'm grateful to have a chance to do it with people who will kind of understand. Um, I was in Las Vegas recently, and I actually have been there a lot lately, and it's a great town. I love Vegas. Love anything about it. Um, and I went and saw a show that I had not seen before, um, and it was basically like like a girly show. It was, uh, it was a girly, girly show? Yeah. I had never, never seen an actual, like, topless Vegas review. And so uh, the lovely man I was there with took me to one. Uh, it was called Crazy Horse, like Crazy Horse Paris, I think it is. And it's in the MGM. I mean, it's in this big, you know, kind of casino, theater, kind of mainstream place. Um, and it was mainly, like, pretty girls kind of trotting around, like, you know. And they were very pretty, you know. It was, I enjoyed that part. Uh, but they had the kind of these uh, kind of breakup acts. They had these two male dancers who... Um, it was a little like being transported back to like 1989 because they did like break dancing and they were very good break dancers, but it was still you know break dancing. Um, and, and that was traumatic. Just break uh, dancing is traumatic. Well, that was a little like did I fall through a hole in time? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's just really. Uh, but okay, and then then the number that they did that disturbed me so much was they did uh, a midget Michael Jackson review sort of thing. Um, so this was a, a look back at all the midget Michael Jackson acts that <laughs> no, had come before a review. No, it was it was it was it was kind of. Um, or was uh, it Michael Jackson numbers being done by midgets? Well, you know how like when like, a, a, a full size person like puts his his arms into like shoes and his hands in the little pants and then kind of like hunkers down behind something and pretends that he's a midget like. And denies a, a performance gig to an actual midget. <laughs> Well, there is that, I suppose. There are actor midgets out there who could have gotten those jobs. Well, it was just... It's like hiring was, white people and giving them slanty eyes to play Asians. Well, in, in point of fact, the, the one of one of the dance team was white and one of them was black. And you couldn't tell by the makeup which one of these act performers was doing the Michael Jackson midget in person. Because actually, he was like, standing in a hole on the stage with his arms and pants <laughs> and his, like, there's some kind of, like, puppet head on the top of his body, kind of... Doing, know, Michael doing Michael Jackson. Doing Michael Jackson. And he was doing like a It's combo. too soon. Well, that's what I thought. It's I just, thought the man I, just died. It's is, too soon for a fake midget homage. It was. It was. I thought this is wrong on so many levels. And, <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, he just died. And I'm kind of, I'm kind of looking around at the the black people in the room, thinking, how do you feel about this? Because I think this is really in bad taste. And I'm just a little. It was very flashy and glitzy. And then the other dance member of the team came out in a uh, monkey suit. I'm not kidding. I'm really not kidding. Worse and worse. I wish I was kidding. I just, I was just sort of. I thought, is there acid in this drink? Am I having some kind of <laughs> some kind of LSD thing here? So, right how, now? when did it end, and how did you recover? Uh, I just kind of sat there numbly drinking my drink, and then the pretty girls came back, and I just tried to kind of 
Oh, let it go. Let, it go let the me. midget Michael Jackson go. <laughs> let the guy in the monkey suit go. <laughs> just, and I just thought, because I always look at it for the performers' perspective and think, what do you tell like your mom that you do for a living? I mean, I know I have trouble telling my mom what I do for a living. What do you <laughs> but tell? you're not a midget. You're not a, a midget impersonator. Michael Jackson midget impersonator. Yeah. Because it's not just a Michael Jackson impersonation. It's an impersonation of a midget impersonating Michael yeah. Jackson. Yeah. It's just. It's just. It's just deeply wrong. I mean... And now let's see if any of your questions can be deeply wronger than a midget Michael Jackson. We've got some for you. And we'll see if any top that. I can't imagine any do. This episode is brought to you by AdamandEve.com, where you can find over 18,000 adult entertainment products for every lifestyle. To receive 50% off most any item, plus three adult DVDs, plus an extra gift, plus free shipping, visit AdamandEve.com and enter SAVAGE at checkout. Hi, Dan. I am a 28-year-old straight female from the south side of Chicago, and I have um, a career question. Um, I've been mistaken for a professional dominatrix since I was a teenager. Uh, Recently, I've given thought to pursuing being a dominatrix as a career choice. Uh, I've done a bit of research online, and I've done some soul-searching. Um, and I think there's enough of a disconnect between myself and my sexuality and my feelings on my sexuality and having sex that I can handle working in the sex industry, um, which I still consider it the sex industry, even though there's no actual sex involved. Um, I'm domineering enough to be successful, but um, I have a couple of issues. Um, how do I find a respectable and responsible dungeon, and how do I convince them to hire me? Uh, I've read about a great female-run dungeon in New York, and that seems ideal for me. Um, How can I zero in on that sort of thing here in the city that I live in? Um, It's a big city, so I know there must be at least half a dozen dungeons. How do I find them and let them know I'm interested in working for them? Um, I'm a plus-size girl. Uh, I've got awesome boobs, and um, my figure is described by most people uh, as curvy, um, but most of the girls I see on websites are half my size. Does this automatically exclude me from this line of work? Um, personally, I've only ever had one sex- sexual partner. Uh, is that going to be a problem? Um, I mean, it's not like I'm going to be having sex with my clients. Um, also, personally, I'm a sexual bottom, as my best friend calls it. Um, I like to be thrown on my back spanked, tied up, and dominated, but I'm viewed by all who know me as a dominant personality. Is that going to be a conflict of interest? Um, My understanding is that a lot of business professional women are flocking to the sex industry in these trying economic times, and I just want to know how I can set myself above and beyond the baseline. Um, Any insight you can give would be greatly appreciated. Man, that was like a whole cascade of questions and issues. The first thing I want to address, though, is she says as a teenager on the south side of Chicago that she has for years been mistaken for a pro-dom. As an actual pro-dom, how often are you mistaken for a pro-dom <laughs> when you leave the house? <laughs> Pretty much never. Uh, yeah, because I don't look like one, for one thing. Uh, she, I'm guessing she's like a tall, busty chick, and she kind of has a, you know, a tough manner, as she's describing herself. But people, people with that word on, they don't really know what that word means. It's just, it's kind of a vogue term now. So I'm guessing they're not really thinking that she's a pro Okay, so quickly, her questions. How do you find a dungeon? 
Well, you know, her idea that there must be lots of them around is, in my uh, understanding, quite mistaken. There are proton houses in New York, although a lot of them have been shut down recently. There are some in Chicago. There are some in San Francisco and L.A. Those are all the ones that I know of that are really established and reputable. There may be kind of groups of women who get together in other cities who kind of, it comes, it goes, and you usually have to kind of know somebody to get in there. So how do you get into the business if you live in a city without a dungeon that you can apply to? You find a mistress and you beg to apprentice? How does it work? The vast majority of women just work alone and always do work alone. I, that's what I did. That's what all of my friends did, who I know who are pro-doms. It's, and usually you, um, I guess, in my case, I was already in the sex industry, so I had a way to generate money uh, and get together all the, the massive overhead that unfortunately it takes to really set up well as a pro-dom. Um, or you start pro-doming um, kind of in, in the alcohol style and get a suitcase full of toys and, and show people's hotel rooms mm-hmm. and, and earn enough money that way to then set up your own shop to put a space, get all the equipment, do like that. But she doesn't – she says she's a bottom. She's only had one sex partner. She, if you've never tied a rope in your life, if you've never actually struck someone in your life in an erotic – sensation play sort of way as opposed to... Uh... Yeah, a lot of women have this notion that they can get paid for on-the-job training, and I really don't find that's too much true. What is good about the world now is that there's a lot more ways to get trained in how to do BDSM than there used to be. So what I would say is, okay, start getting involved in the BDSM community because, you know, the only reason that programs exist is that there are tons of men who want to get topped who are not getting taught. There are tons of men who you can go to them and say, I don't know how to do this, would you please teach me? And they will be so happy. So she shouldn't look necessarily to apprentice with a pro-dom or some dungeon. She should go find some guys who are willing to kind of top from below and sort of train her to be a top and do it for free for a while for those dudes. Yeah, you do it for free. Um, What I will also say is that um, while a lot of guys don't want to pay outright for it, um, men are wonderful creatures. And I have had men who were not my clients make me furniture, um, like help me paint and refurbish a dungeon that I was getting ready to open. I mean, it's, you know, I don't call them slaves because that's not really my relationship with them, but uh, they will be giving creatures, and they will be very helpful to you in your in your. You just said men are wonderful creatures. Every once in a while, Savage Love, I get a letter from someone who says, "I want to be a pro dom because I'm a woman and I have all these anger issues of men, and I hate men, and it just seems like a natural fit." I hate that so much. You should not be a pro dom if you hate men. You should never. You should not be any kind of a sex worker if you hate men. It's only going to make you worse. I mean, forget about them. It will make your issues so much worse because then you are in a situation gratifying the intimate desires of people that you hate. And, it's, and you're going to start hating yourself pretty soon. And you should never know. You should never do that. That's a terrible idea. Hey, Dan. Um, so I have a question. I've been thinking about it for a while. Um, I am a 23-year-old girl. I've uh, been in a series of monogamous slash non-monogamous relationships. And I have always um, had kind of submissive tendencies. Uh, leaning towards kind of rape fantasies. So I was in a relationship for about two years where that played out just dandy until it became horribly aggressive abuses and he actually raped me, like against my will, holding me down, screaming, crying, that whole sort of thing after we had broken up. So that was, you know, traumatizing and abusive and um, so on time getting over it except for now where I find myself fantasizing about it again Um, and now I'm in a relationship going on about a year where I find myself going back to those sort of submissive uh, 
tendencies, and I wonder whether it's okay to approach this boyfriend who's been very supportive, very caring with this whole scenario. Um, he doesn't know the extent of the abuse in my previous relationship, uh, and I kind of feel like if I approached him with both at once, it might be a little overwhelming for him. So how do I get off while um, still trying to, you know, help him help me. Before we talk about the specifics of her question, uh, how often does it come up where people who are uh, in, into BDSM, into dumb subplay, have to sort of overcome a trauma that really closely resembles their kink before they can jump back in? How? I mean, I think it, I think it's often as it happens in the non-kinky population, certainly. I mean, I think anyone, any woman who's raped is going to have some, probably some issues, even having, you know, kind of non BDSM regular sex again. Mm-hmm. Um, I suppose the more closely it resembles the rape, the more traumatic it might be. Uh, I am fortunate not to have been raped myself, so I can't really speak to this personally other than to say, wow, that really sucks. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, I think it, I mean, and, and I've heard people who say, oh no, I kind of, I kind of worked it out by replaying it and kind of reacting it out over and over again. And I'm like, well, if that works for you, then that's awesome. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think that's necessarily something that everyone can do, but so any advice for her on how she introduces rape play to her new boyfriend that she's not out to about it? It also sounds like she's not out to him about having been raped by the last guy she asked to indulge her in, in rape yeah, I, play. Yeah, that, that was kind of weird to me. I mean, I think there's a there's a step here, and I think I would say, so the last guy I was with, we had this thing, and he raped me. Uh, and then, because you can't, I don't think it would be fair to kind of spring that on him after the fact. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? I mean, so I think it's going to have to be like a little interval while he sort of takes care of that. And then like not in the same evening. <laughs> and I'd probably try to avoid using the word rape when introducing the idea to her new boyfriend that she wants him to tie her up, you know, or kind of throw her around or whatever. Mm-hmm. I think I would just not use that word because that's kind of a triggering word, I would think. Uh, so, you know, it's hardly really kinky anymore. I, I, I guess maybe other people's view is to say, I want you to tie me to the bed, honey, or you want to kind of like, you know, pull my hair and slap my ass or, you know, whatever it is that looks like mm-hmm. a rape fantasy to her. That doesn't sound, seem like a really, a really edgy thing to do. Is that edgy now still? I, I don't know. You're asking the wrong person. <laughs> <laughs> well, you talk to more normal people than I do. Uh, <laughs> so, I, I, you know, I, I wouldn't think that would be this huge deal uh, if he's... But she needs to go slow for her own mental uh, health and I think for his because she doesn't know what jumping back into that deep end of the pool is going to trigger for her and that's what a lot of guys who are with women who've been raped are really worried about is they don't want to step on a mine that they didn't realize was right there and she's really asking this guy to dance on around a mine that's already there she was raped she's into rape play she wants to reinitiate that I really do think that your idea is really good that she take it by degrees and like yeah. a little throwing around, a little slapping, maybe a little bondage before she builds all the way back up. Cause who knows how she's going to react now to this thing that she enjoyed before yeah. she was traumatized by an actual rape. Yeah, no, I think that's very sound advice. And uh, yeah, you're smart. I was like, Oh no, it'll be fine. But you're right. No, no, I'm, might I'm be. backing you. <laughs> <laughs> we're both very smart and we're both fine. Um, so yeah, I think that's a good idea. Do it by degrees. And, and also remember that, okay, even if, like, it kind of brings up some stuff, you didn't, you know, you're not actually being raped again. It's, it's, it's a little scary, but you'll go through it and you'll be okay. Consent is always the magic ingredient. Yeah, yeah. Consent makes it not rape. Whatever it looks like, whatever you're pretending is going on, consent makes it not rape. Um, sure. 
Vanilla cool. intercourse, vaginal penetration, missionary position between a married couple. If there is consent, it's just the most vanilla sex in the world. The same sex act, the same two people, the same position. If there is not consent, it is rape. Perfectly put. Looking to spice things up in the bedroom? Fantasizing about surprising your lover with an adventurous new toy or adult movie? Well, here's an offer you won't be able to resist. Go to adamandeve.com for a limited time only. You'll get 50% off just about any item. And that's not all. There's more. You'll also receive three free adult DVDs plus a free extra gift plus free shipping on your entire order. Check out adamandeve.com today for this special offer. That's adamandeve.com and enter Savage at checkout. Hey, Dan. I'm a 26-year-old woman, and I have a couple of questions for you. My fiancé and I have been together for five years, and about a year into the relationship, we both figured out that we're really kinky. Before that, I wasn't able to orgasm, and I never really understood why people enjoyed sex. Since then, we've been exploring the world of kinks together in the privacy of our bedroom, and our sex life is absolutely incredible. So here's my question. I have this fetish for forced public nudity. I can't come unless I'm fantasizing about it, my fiancé is talking about it, or we're pretending he's making me do it. I would really like to explore this in an appropriate semi-public setting, like maybe a BDSM club or a play party. I don't know anyone else kinky, so getting invited to a private party isn't a possibility right now. The problem is we're both really worried that this could hurt our careers. We both have jobs where we work with children, and we're worried about the consequences of it being discovered that we go to sex clubs and get naked. Also, if God forbid either of us were ever accused of some kind of sex crime, that would look pretty bad. Is there any way you can recommend for us to explore my fetish together that wouldn't have these negative consequences? I'm open to places besides play parties. That's just what came to mind after reading a bunch of books on kink. Also, my fiancé has recently gotten into causing pain during sex, flogging me, spanking me, and slapping me around. I'm totally open to this, and I think it would be really fun, but I have really low pain tolerance. Any recommendations on how to learn to handle the pain better and take a little bit more? I think we should take this one in reverse. How do you handle, how do you raise your pain limits? Well... Let's just start off by saying it's not, this is not a contest. This is not about, you know, more pain is better than less pain. It's like, you know, it's all the amount that's right for you. But um, I would remind everyone that the more physically, sexually aroused somebody is, the more pain they're going to be able to take. So there's really not a whole lot. I'm playing with a man. There's nothing you can't do if you have one hand on his dick at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just be fair. And it works that way with women as well. So give her a touch. Women magic. have dicks? Oh, my God. Why haven't I been sleeping with women all these years? <laughs> Certain ones. No, I, 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 I just, you know, give her a Hitachi magic wand and and everything will be fine. Duct tape it in place. Well, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, he didn't, you know, he didn't say she was, she's tied up, then duct tape it in place. Actually, one of some sex toy company makes a little holder that, like a little harness that holds it around your hips. It's crazy. Uh, so, so yes, I mean, if you want to hit her harder, then you need to be providing some alternate pleasurable stimulation to kind of balance that. Uh, and I think that, um, especially for women, vibrator, the way to go with that. And the private, the privacy issues around people who are kinky, if you work with children, if you're a teacher and you're into forced public nudity, you're really kind of over a barrel Yeah, because there is no guarantee. There's no private play party that's absolutely, totally private. Maybe you're going to run into your principal at a private play party. Um, I, I know some people who have struggled with this exact thing. They don't work with children, but it's, it's a different situation. Um, who were actually at Folsom Street Fair, and she was wearing this amazing wig, and he was wearing this hood over his head, and they were prancing around with almost nothing on, and it was great. Uh, so there are certain places that are publicly accessible, but you can disguise yourself. So there's, there's that kind of aspect. I mean, she can wear a wig, and he can wear you know something. I mean, I don't know. You can try that route. Um, 
Or a hood, or an executioner mask, or a... Yeah, as cheesy as those are, it, it works. Um, it's kind of hard to like really make friends when, when you're wearing a hood, <laughs> but uh, if all you want to do is kind of parade around and kind of then go home and get your jollies off or be getting your jollies, that's, that works. And how do you finagle an invite to a private play party? How do you work your way in to that... <sighs> To the, to the community that exists out there but doesn't have bars. Like, the gay guys can go to the, the leather bars. Where do the straight people go? Well, they go to the wet spot. They go to the, you know, the Center for Sex Positive Culture. Uh, Which is here in Seattle but doesn't exist everywhere. No, it does not, certainly. Um, I mean, you if you want to go to private play parties at people's houses, you pretty much have to make friends with them. And to make friends with them means you have to kind of communicate with them in some way. Now, you can go online and kind of find online resources and join, you know, message groups and kind of make friends with people that way. Mm-hmm. Um, but at some point, you're going to have to take the leap and actually meet them in person and hang out with them and then get invited to their house and, and trust the other people that will be there will all maintain their privacy. Because, uh, you know, it's, there's always some risk there. And what's been your experience about whether people do maintain privacy? Um, overwhelmingly, they do. There's a lot of honor among that, among the BDSM community. Uh, I mean, I, I don't think it's random friends and strangers you should worry about. Usually when I see this happen, it's an ex. It's an mm-hmm. angry ex outing their lover about something. So, yeah, don't be worried about random friends. Be worried about each other. That, that sounds terrible, but that's really more the problem I've seen. Hi, Dan. Um I guess my question pertains to kinky sex at home. I'm moving in with my slave slash boyfriend, and it's the first time that I'm ever moving in with anybody, and I've always wanted to get a leather sofa. And since there's two of us now, we can get a really nice one. But anyway, I like hosting guests in my home a lot, but because of my leather fetish, I have these fantasies about having sex, all kinds of dirty, very wet sex on the leather sofa, and I don't disrespect my guests by having the leather sofa smell like sex or have sex stains on it. And I'm just wondering what would be the best way to clean sex off of the sofa. And I know, I guess you could say just throw a seat over it, but that kind of defeats the purpose of having a leather couch to fulfill a leather fetish to have sex on. Um, thank you. I was tempted not even to use this one. I wanted to file it under, if this is your big problem, <laughs> you got it pretty good. You really have a problem. Get two couches. They're not that expensive. I have, I have a slightly better solution, slightly more low-cost solution, which is to go to a leather store and buy a couple of half hides. Uh, my partner Max does this, um, for a, and he has this huge kind of like you know bath sheet sized piece of leather that he uses to put down and you know do whatever on. Um, and so buy it the same color as your couch, if it's a black couch. Then, and when you have sex on it, put the put the hides down, and you still kind of have the, the whole look and feel of the leather, and it's on the leather couch. And then when you're done having sex, take the hides off, and your couch should be relatively. Unstained. When she says she wants to have really wet sex, does she mean she wants to piss on her couch and then have guests come and sleep on her? I, I, well, she didn't say sleep, but yeah, I, I did. I did wonder what, what do you mean wet exactly? Because yeah, I don't think <laughs> you that's should... a really that's a very elastic term uh, in sex land. That can mean I'm a squirter. That can mean I lubricate a lot. That can mean I'm pissing on his head on the furniture, the living room, which I don't recommend. Yeah, I, I don't really know that I've ever sort of experimented with this exactly. I mean, there are some leather cleaners that work pretty well. And, but, yeah, you might – I mean, maybe you should buy a really cheap one first and just, like, in case you need to throw it away or something. <laughs> or, Era, I think your suggestion is great. Get a couple of big leather throws to put on the couch yeah. and leak all over those. But if you're pissing, you need a latex couch. Yeah, you need like a rubber sheet and then leather over the rubber. Yeah, there's all kinds of fetishes here. But if this is your biggest problem. Yeah. You're, you're doing all right. You're doing all right. 
Hey, Dan. Okay, so this is my issue. So um, about a month ago, I drunkenly told one of my guy friends that I wanted to fool around and occasionally, and he was up for it. Um, this guy friend, uh, we've been, like, really good friends for a couple years, and then, um, like, a year and a half ago, he kind of stopped hanging out with, like, um, our group of friends. He, like, kind of got caught up in his frat friend group, you know? So a couple of days after... I asked him if he wanted to fool around. Um, he called me in the middle of the night, um, insisting to come over, and he was really drunk. He was like, no, I want to come over. And he was completely wasted, so I said no, and it was the middle of the night, so I was like, no. Um, the next day, he said it wasn't a good idea. Um, he was uncomfortable because we didn't, we've known each other for such a long time, and he couldn't do it soberly, which I thought was weird. But I think... I think he hasn't, hasn't slept with a girl soberly for like two years, so whatever. So then a couple of weeks later, we were talking late um, online one night, and he wanted to come over, so I, he did. And we fooled around, and it was great. And the next morning, he said that it was still awkward, and we kind of, we've been talking, but he's been kind of rude to me and kind of ignoring me. So usually I would brush this thing off, but... Dan, I'm, like, really in love with this guy. Like, I've been in love with him for a while, and, like, I don't know what I was thinking when I did this because it was a bad idea. But anyways, I just, I've never been in love before, and it fucking hurts, and I, like, don't know what to do. Um, and I know that he's attracted to me because when we were hooking up, he was pretty into it, and apparently he, like, digs kind of, like, overweight girls, and not, like, that I'm huge, but I'm, like, a little bit above average, which kind of puts me into my second question. Um, I don't know how to feel about his kink. He apparently gets off on guys feeding girls, like, food, and then the girls gaining weight. Um, he seems, like, pretty into it, and, like, I don't know. I, I got him to say it, and I was really positive and supportive, like, you know, trying to be, like, you know, positive kink girl. Um, I don't know. I think that, like, the fetish of fucking fat people is, like, part of it is the disgust and taboo that people associate with it, which I don't really like. I just, I, I think that, you know, people should think they're attractive because that's who they are and, like, what, that's their body type. So I don't really know how to feel about that. I don't know if I want to, like, be with somebody who, like, just wants to be with me because I'm, like, a little overweight and doesn't think I'm actually attractive. And part of the reason I think that he's backing off is he's really concerned with what other people think and he doesn't want to deal with his frat boys and, like, bringing home a girl that, like, isn't a stick and, like, you know, isn't the typical, like, college girl. So I don't know what to do because it's just really fucking hurts and I don't know how to deal with it. First thing I want to say is you're not really in love with this asshole. And a good thing, too. You think you're in love with him. You were infatuated with him. You you imagined this whole, like, possibility of love and you attached that to him. But he's disqualified himself by his actions. What a raging asshole. Yeah. He sounds like anybody who has to get drunk before they can call you, anybody who communicates that kind of disgust and, and that kind of shame. You know, a, a lot of guys when they're young in their early 20s who are into big women are ashamed because they don't want, you know, they want to have somebody that their friends who are men want. They, they're worried about the status of having the stick girl. They don't want a girl that they want to fuck. They want a girl that their other friends want to fuck. So, you know, it's like having a hot car. Um, really about possession and being made into an object and blah, blah, blah. And those guys sometimes get over it later in life. In their late 20s, 30s, they realize that they're not going to be able to fuck women they're not attracted to all their life, and they just kind of come out a la the gays. They just come out, right? But the whole feeder-gainer thing, 
as a fetish kind of trips a wire for me. Yeah, yeah. It's it's it is one of those fetishes that kind of me think is this really a healthy thing? I mean, I'm not you know you get to do your kink the way you want to, but yeah, that makes me a little. It makes you question. Certainly. Is there a way to incorporate feeder gainer fetishism into you know into hell? You know, a few minutes ago we were like smiling on rape fetish and rape play. Is there a way to like incorporate it where it doesn't seem so insanely destructive? Ripley's Believe It or Not land. Like when you look at the real feeder gainer porn out there, it's literally people who've been disabled by their weight, people who've been fed to the point of an early death mm-hmm. and a really circumscribed life. Well, I think, and I see this a lot in, in BDSM uh, community, people people get into this and they want to take whatever it is to an extreme. They want to be a 24-7 slave, they want to live in this cage, they want to, and they think they do anyway, because they really actually don't. So I, I would suspect that if you had a feeder gainer fantasy, you could say, okay, so one night a week we're going to have this date, and I'm going to feed you all this food, and we're going to talk all about how you're going to gain all this weight, and we're, gonna, we're gonna, basically going to fantasize all this. Mm-hmm. And the rest of the week we'll like live, you know, we'll have salad. Well, <laughs> you know, and, and, and do whatever is right from I'm not far be it from me to say what anybody should eat uh, eating what we think is a healthy way and exercising what we think is a healthy way and just set aside this little time to play out this fantasy that that's that's what we're doing mm. um, and if you know the person is naturally kind of a, a round person that's actually going to work pretty well and that's what I would think. Would but you be, can't have that kind of relationship with somebody who has to get drunk before he can see. Yeah, the drunk part's really ruining it for me. That's really – and he's, the fact that he's kind of ignoring her and blowing her off, it's like, no, no, forget all the kink stuff, forget all the drunk stuff. It's like he's not treating you well. He's not courting you. He's not paying attention to you. He's not respecting you. He's not acting like he's in love with you because he's not in love with you and you're not in love with him. He's ashamed of his attraction to you. Yeah. And that is going to play out in emotional abuse. He's going to take that out on you. He already is. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, he's he's showing you really clearly what is it going to be. He's going to be drunk. He's going to blow you off. He's going to act weird. You, he's not. You're not going to be made happy by this, no matter what happens. He'll treat you like shit in public in front of his friends to drive it home that you're disgusting and he's disgusted with himself that he's attracted to you and to prove to them that he's not really into you. Should he begin to publicly date you at all, it's just a recipe for heartbreak, heartbreak and unpleasantness. And you should dash in the other direction. You should give him your number and say, in ten years, when you're healthy and over it, give me a buzz. In the meantime, fuck off, and I'm going to find somebody healthy who digs me. Yes. Hey, Dan. I am a bisexual 22-year-old, and I've had sexual experiences with men and women, but I haven't had, quote-unquote, sex with, or what I would consider sex with, a woman. Um, one thing I've I've picked up, uh, and it's a reoccurring theme in everything you write and say. There's often this issue of lesbians hating bisexual women, and I've seen in other places, and it makes me really nervous as a bisexual woman who considers herself a virgin to lesbian sex. Um, And I currently have a huge crush on this uh, very experienced lesbian who's a friend of mine, but I really, do, I really don't know how to uh, put the moves on because every time I am thinking about it, I just get really nervous and think about how much lesbians hate bisexual women um, for the reasons that I'm nervous, but less experience or, I don't know, stereotypes about us or something. I'm tossing this at you. 
I just want to say, aw, bless your heart, sweetheart. That's the cutest thing I ever heard. Um, okay, so you're 22 years old, and you haven't really had sex with a woman yet, and I know what you mean. Um, and let me just reassure you, every, I mean, dykes are so nervous about hitting at each other anyway that you can go into the wild rose and everyone's got their back up against the wall staring at each other. No one ever hits on each other. Well, of course they do, but I mean... The wild rose being a lesbian bar here in Seattle. Yeah, it's like lesbians don't approach. It's the, kind of the opposite of gay men. Uh, so uh, yeah, I mean, really. So when I was when well, I was, it's funny. I mean, lesbians do carry that into to lesbian culture that that sort of female social conditioning that you stand there and you are approached. Someone is supposed to hit on you. That's the way it's supposed to work. And then when you have women with women, it just like yeah grinds to a halt. Yeah. Uh, and when I was in the lesbian community, this was a big thing because I you know, I'm a sex worker, so I'm kind of used to going up to going, "Hey, baby, how you doing?" Uh, and every woman I ever did that to said, "Oh, thank God you came and talked to me. I would never come and talk to you. I'm so nervous." And I just so this is like this universal condition, I think, of lesbians. But if she goes out there and says, "Hey, I'm bi," and she starts hitting on dogs, she's going to get rejected by some. Oh, well, she's certainly going to get rejected by some people because you get rejected by some people no matter what. Uh, and you can't take it too personally if they reject you because you're bi. If you're disqualified because you're bi, well. Yeah. I mean, and you're 22 and you're like almost a virgin. And, you know, it's like, and also if you're hitting on like other 22-year-old dykes, because when I was 22, I knew everything. And everything <laughs> was black and white. And I was just so mm, earnest about what, you know. So it's kind of everything's just very, very high tension when you're 22. Is your anxiety justified? Do lesbians hate bisexuals? You know, that's a, that's a sweeping statement. Um, um, I think it becomes less true and true over time. Certainly, that has been true in some times and places, and there are still pockets of the lesbian community where it's true. I think it is less so than it used to be. Um, I think she just needs to be honest about the fact that she's she's young and she's inexperienced, uh, and and kind of not you know not kind of stop herself before she even starts. It's like yeah, no matter who you are, you're going to get rejected a certain number of times. It's going to happen. Just buck up and But she on. needs to be confident that there are some lady killer dykes out there who don't want to marry her, who don't care whether she's going to end up with a guy or a girl, and just want to eat her fucking pussy. And if she hits on enough dykes, she'll hit on one of those. Yes, yes, that is true. That is absolutely true. I mean, usually the ones who are angry about, oh, you're bi, are the ones who are looking at you as a potential life mate and find that threatening or disqualifying. But if, she, if it's just some, like, dyke on the prowl who wants to get some pussy... Yeah. And you offer it up. She's yeah. not going to go, oh, I'm sorry. Like, oh, no, wait. You're... That is very true. That is very true. So, yeah, that's what she needs to find, definitely. And she needs to be the aggressor. Um, aggressor is, yeah, she needs to definitely put herself out there. Definitely. Yeah, I agree. Without worrying. <laughs> With the, well, as much as you can, because you're going to worry when you're 22. But you're going to get rejected. Everybody gets rejected. Yeah, just, 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 this idea that like the whole, uni- the whole lesbian universe is conspiring against you because some women aren't going to want to fuck you. That applies equally to everyone in every sexual community. Exactly, exactly. Hi, Jen. I'm a queer woman in my 20s just getting into kink. Coincidentally, I'm also going back to school to study computers. And in the past year, I've noticed a really strange overlap between nerds and kink. Um, Here's my evidence. I joined a dating website, and everyone who messaged me about kink also mentioned computers. My boyfriend is a kinking engineering student, and I've heard about our local scene, or my local scene here, that there are tons of other kinky nerds. Why is this? My only theory is that maybe nerds have more patience to learn complicated ways of tying knots or how to hurt people without actually inflicting any injuries, but that doesn't really seem very convincing to me. So if you have any other ideas about why this could be, um, I would love to hear them. 
the last time you joined us, we talked about the kink nerd continuum. And we got a lot of positive response. People were like, oh, that's true, that's true. And you were like... It is true. It's plug in the, true. the plug in the nerds. If you're interested in kink, look for the nerds and you'll find the kink. Go to the nerds. Go to the nerds. Yeah. Go to the nerds. Yeah. Why do you think this is so? Why do you think that nerds tack toward kink? Um, because nerds like to make everything as complicated as possible. Uh, and, and kink is making sex as complicated as possible. It's like, let's collect all this gear and all these kind of rituals and all these. Let's really overthink this whole thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, and I'm saying that lightly because, of course, it's more than that. But but it is. It's like, you you know, let's what can we do to make this more interesting? What can we do to make this different? Um, it's not, you know, it's just not going to be a situation where there's people out in the trailer and they're going to get like on top of each other and pound away for five minutes and then go to sleep. Uh, right, really, if you're not uh, kinky, the only skill you need to acquire is like unhooking the bra, right, <laughs> if you're a dude. But if you're a kinky dude, you, there's like a lot to learn. It's like this whole universe of, uh, of it's like yeah. crazy, the, the, the skills that you, that you can acquire and the things you can pour your time into. Yeah, and I think that has something to do with, um, I have this theory that like, the things that happen to you when you're an adolescent kind of shape you forever, and I was totally a nerd as an adolescent, completely uh, very, very nerdy and not popular or cheerleader at all. Uh, and, and, and then the guys now, especially too, it's like, we all want to demonstrate this, this sexual mastery that we did not have back then. We want to have the sexual power mm-hmm. that we didn't have then. Uh, and so now this is the way you like to be like the sex gods and goddesses that we were not as adolescents or very young people. And there's a certain powerlessness when you are the sexless nerd oh, yeah. in high school. And then this attraction to power and control, this power and control that you did not have or did not possess mm-hmm. and making it in this elab, you know, elaborate elaborating on it, making it this sort of big, complicated circus uh-huh. and, and that requires a lot of mastery. That just seems like that, that seems to me why it would appeal yeah, to, to it, the to the nerd crowd. It does. It really does. Yeah. You And I mean, if you take it further, it's like we kind of in the community, we recreate and with this high school situation. We really do. I admit that. Where, you know, people, new people come in, they're like the freshmen, and they're like the upperclassmen, and there's this whole <laughs> little, I mean, I thought this is amazingly similar. Uh, only this time I get to be a cool person. Yay. Uh, and then you try to be nice, and you try to I kind of can like fix these things that all the people were mean to you when you were a nerd. But you're not going to be mean. You'll be nice to the. And I have another theory and... actually about the the nerd king continuum, or connection or correlation. Um, one of the things I think that makes people sort of geeky is this this they're they're almost like a step back. There's like this reserve. You know, that Asperger's thing. Not that mm. all nerds have Asperger's or kinky nerds all have Asperger's. Um, but that's sort of like they feel like they're, you know, a little behind glass. And what kink and S&M can do is it kind of shatters that glass. You kind of have to really – true. It spreads this intensity of a connection that some people, I think, don't feel that they that they have naturally. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I think I, I speak of people who are who are too in their head to enjoy regular sex, mm-hmm. and the intensity of BDSM gets them out of their head. It's the only thing that's that's encompassing enough to make that them yanks stop them thinking. into the moment. Yeah, as opposed to all this analytical stuff, mm-hmm. although the computer programs that are constantly whirring in the heads of mm-hmm. like the slightly Asperger OCD touched nerds, this mm-hmm. really pulls you out. Like, because when you're in pain or inflicting it, you really have to be very much in the moment. Yeah, you have no choice. Yeah. And I think that's part of what goes on for I agree. the nerdos. Yeah, I agree. But they're not all nerds, right? No, not, they're not all nerds. They're not all nerds. And I think nerds, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm a nerd now, but I don't look like one. So, you know, kind of. <laughs> Undercover nerd. I'm an uncovered nerd. Uh, so we, I say that kind of fondly and lightly. And, uh, you know, people socially progress, we hope. Uh, so, but yeah, I think, you know, smart people are often kinky. Definitely. And. Before we let you go, you just went and did a performance for kink.com, which is the sort of world 
a performance. How nicely you put it. I went and shot a porn video for King.com. <laughs> trying to be sex positive and not to make it sound so squalid. Well, it's, I had, it wasn't. It wasn't squalid. That was the whole thing. It was. It was very. It, I mean, speaking of school, it was kind of like being the new kid at school because it's this huge place uh, and there's all these people kind of coming. Speaking of high going. school, it looks like it's the Armory in San Francisco is owned by King.com, which is this porn company that really puts out most of the the fetish porn that you see online these days. They are the GM of kink porn. They are. And that's kind of why I was – I've never done a porn video before, but I thought I want to kind of have this experience of going to the factory and, and just being part of this. So how uh, was it? How was the experience? Um, overall, it was fine. I mean, it, it's, I'm kind of like, you know, it's – I don't know where to go. I don't know what to do. I'm kind of like, like, I'm kind of like a new kid at school. But uh, the director, Lokai, has been a friend of mine from the community for years and uh, was really cool with me. And uh, I thought – you know, on a basic level, I'm getting paid to fly to San Francisco and have sex with a beautiful woman. And really, how could that be wrong? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, let's ask Sarah Palin to enumerate the ways that could be wrong. Oh, well, or Bill Donahue yeah. or the Pope. But we're not going to ask them. We're asking you. So what was your video call? When, uh, when can it, people it, see it? It's the, it's the subsite of kink.com called Everything But. Spelled with two T's. So it's the anal the anal sex uh, one. I don't know. It should be live within the next two weeks, I hope. Uh, I don't know if it really has like a title or anything. Uh, but uh, it'll be, it's me, Mistress Matisse, and a beautiful woman named Bobby Starr. And, and uh, her butt. And her, and her beautiful, beautiful ass, uh, which stars prominently in this film as well it should. And me doing lovely and terrible things to it. Uh, and she's a talented girl. She really is. Uh, let me just say that right away. And we had a lot of fun, and it was, yeah, I enjoyed it. It was uh, it was not like, you know, being in my own dungeon where I'm, I'm in charge of everything and it's all going my way, but it was... Like, you had to please the director, but then look like you were running the show once the cameras were rolling. Kind of like that, yeah. Yeah, I mean, pleasing. was. I, mean, he, I, I had to do more. It was his vision, you know, that I was sort of acting out. But it was interesting to be, like, it's kind of like being, you know, in a game. It's like, okay, you tell me what to do, and then I'll do it, and I'm going to bring my own little flair to that. Uh, Is and, it something you're going to do again, do you think? Um, you know, I, I would consider it, definitely. I really would. So if they invite me back, uh, I, w- I would go back. Just like if you invite me back, I'll always come back. <laughs> Even though I don't get to have sex with you. Well, dot, dot, dot. We're going to leave it there. Well, I want to thank you so much for coming in this morning. I'm so pleased to be here. Thanks for and having me. fielding these questions with us. If you have questions about kink, please uh, phone them in, 206-201-2720, and we will save them up for a future Mistress Matisse visit. You can read Mistress Matisse's column, Control Tower in The Stranger, my home paper, thestranger.com. Mistress Matisse also has her own website, mistressmatisse.com, where you can read all about her, what she does, and get to her blog, uh, where she writes about her adventures. And it's a thrilling read. (laughs) It really is. Thank you. I'm a reader. (laughs) And the number if you want to record a call for a future show, 206-201-2720. You download us every week at thestranger.com. I blog every day at slog.thestranger.com, where you can read the Savage Love Letter of the Day, and me and the Tech Savvy at Risk Youth. We'll be back at you next week with another installment of the Savage Love Cast. Thanks for downloading.